Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment here. Welcome to the latest episode of Farm Equipment's podcast series, Our Dealer Story. In this week's episode, I sat down to talk with Carol Lewis, the dealer principal of Salem Farm Supply. The upstate New York Case IH and Kubota dealer first opened its doors in 1953. The Lewis family bought the dealership in 1988. Carol had plans to attend law school, but at the request of her father, Philip, came to work at the dealership for one year. During that year, her father became ill and died unexpectedly, leaving the 22-year-old to lead the dealership. I think if the shoe was on the other foot and suddenly I had a 22-year-old running, I don't know how I would react. So looking back, it's just an ama- it was an amazing scenario that the staff at the dealership there seemed to be 100% full support. That was Carol Lewis reflecting on the support the staff gave her following her dad's passing and the motivation of the entire dealership to keep the business going. Before we head over to Carol, I wanted to thank our sponsor, HBS Systems, a multi-generational company that for over 30 years has provided leading-edge systems and software technology designed specifically for ag and construction equipment dealers. Thanks for making this newest podcast series possible. We'll jump into the conversation with Carol sharing how her family got involved in the dealership back in 1988. Here's the RDLR story of Salem Farm Supply. To start off, can you kind of share the story of how your dad first got involved with the dealership and ended up owning it? Sure. So my dad had was familiar with the area. He grew up on Long Island, but my grandparents, they had kind of a, a weekend farm uh, in upstate New York. And so in 1988, my dad wanted to transition from being a, a banker to living upstate New York. And he had some property and he wanted to clear the land to build a house and he needed a tractor to do that. And so he went to the dealership to buy a Kubota to clear some of the, the brush in the land and ended up talking to Paul Tomlinson, who was the founder of the business and ended up getting more than just a tractor, but also a <laughs> tractor dealership. <laughs> so was that sort of a, like, right away it happened that way? Or did he buy the tractor and then, you know, in service and, you know, just the relationship that was built, it, it led to him eventually buying it? Or was it all kind of in that first initial interaction. Um, he, he definitely did his research. There were some other businesses that had interested him, but the more he looked into the farm equipment business, the more he became interested in it. Um, and this was also 1988. So I know that there had been a couple rough years prior to that with the farming industry, but he, it was something that he, I, th- I think it kind of got him excited because as a kid, he had worked on a farm in the summer times. And so I think he, he was excited to take that banking background and apply it to a completely different industry. Okay. So was was Paul looking to retire or get out of the business at that time? So was it sort of just a yeah, he, happy he coincidence? Has, yeah, he has some children. He's still alive. I take it that they weren't interested at the time of, of taking on the dealership. So he was looking for someone outside the family to, to step up and take it on. Okay. So did you then grow up in uh, the Salem area most of your life, or had you lived? I was born uh, eight miles down the road from the dealership. Okay. And I, I grew up attending the spring auctions and all the different open houses and going to auctions with my dad. I remember okay. going out to the Polk ones in Indiana in the wintertime, <laughs> um, which was not fun yeah. <laughs> when you're six years old. Um, but uh, I definitely, uh, my mom at the time, the dealership had a little satellite store that did uh, lawn and garden. The lawn okay. garden was separated from 
the main dealership, and my I spent a lot of time growing up at that store where my mom worked. Okay. What are some of your, like, early memories of, you know, the time at the Lawn and Garden store or, you know, or at the the ag store as well? I mean, I remember, it's, I mean, some of the people that I remember from when I was really little still work at the dealership. Oh, wow. I remember also how the dealership looked before they did a, a kind of revitalized it inside uh, early 2000s. They updated the interior. But my dad also, when I was in high school, would have me reseal the parking lot as a summer job. So I did some some pretty gritty jobs, like also cleaning off the beds of the tractor trailers after they delivered mixer wagons. Um, <laughs> so they they had me working in uh, different different departments growing up. Um, okay. So it was, it was kind of like a little bit like Karate Kid where you kind of absorb a lot and not realize what you're absorbing until you actually come to a time when you apply it. Right, yeah. So then um, coming back to the dealership wasn't your plan initially, Um so you were planning to go to law school originally, correct? Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd taken the LSAT. My focus when I was an undergrad was more pre-law. And my dad, just he was adamant. He's like, just spend one year post-college working at the dealership and see how it how it turns out. Um, and then just almost exactly a year after graduating college, he unexpectedly passed away. Imagine was was very hard on its own mm-hmm. <laughs> to deal with. But how was that then? You were still involved in the dealership at that time. How did that transition sort of go while you were both grieving and trying to, you know, deal with the business side of things? Um, I think a big part of it was because I grew up with a lot of the people that work at the dealership that I know my mother and I, one of our first concerns when my dad passed away was keeping the dealership going, not not just for us, but also because we were one of the main employers in town. And so there was just a sense of responsibility that whatever needed to be done to ensure that the dealership continued um, needed to be done at that time. So it definitely <laughs> definitely created a, a, a greater sense of urgency. And especially was there was a lot of motivation just not for my mother and I, but just for also the the people and the families that were associated with the dealership. So you and your mother ended up with a 50-50 ownership, correct, mm-hmm. of the business at that time? Um, how did the community respond to, to that or, or the employees themselves or, you know, manufacturers the, you guys were working with? The employees were amazing. I mean, now I'm I'm in my 30s and I think... <laughs> If I had, if the shoe was on the other foot and suddenly I had a 22-year-old running, I don't, I don't know how I would react. Right. <laughs> um, so looking back, it's kind of it's it's just an ama- it was an amazing scenario that uh, the staff at the dealership there seemed to be 100% full support and it definitely seemed as we were working trying to keep some of the manufacturers because a lot of the manufacturers didn't want to they saw it as an opportunity to give the contract to somebody else. Mm-hmm. It didn't necessarily want to sign an agreement with a 22-year-old. So the fact that we were all, it was it acted as like a, a unifying goal. Um, and everyone in all the different departments, we all had the one goal of, of doing what we needed to achieve to, to keep some of these major lines at the dealership. All right. And then um, Bill Martell, is he still part of, is he still working at the dealership as the general manager? He had been yes. back when we met yep. for the dealership of the year. Was he someone who, you know, if I remember correctly from when we did the article, he, you know, kind of really helped 
guide you through a lot of stuff. Um, can you talk a little bit about how your guys' working relationship has been and how it's grown over the years? So I know that he had a really close relationship with my dad as well, and I believe kind of viewed my dad as a mentor. So when my dad passed, um, it, it was a big uh, adjustment for him as well. Okay. Um, but I think especially now that we've grown from being a single-store location to a multi-store location with with a separate one now in Hudson, New York, it's been great having somebody that can be at both stores to act as a lead person because it, it definitely, over the past almost 10 years now, to be honest, I don't, I don't think our dealership would be where it is without some of those people committed to keeping Salem Farm Supply going. Yeah. Yeah. What was it like as a 22-year-old, suddenly the owner, leader of a of a business? What was that like for you to kind of find your way? And uh, the biggest shock coming with a go, after getting a liberal arts education, <laughs> the biggest shock was actually seeing the discrimination that still existed in the industry towards not just young people but just towards women in general. Yeah, that was probably the biggest eye opener because here I had just graduated and. I feel like sometimes in liberal arts, like, oh, everybody's everybody's enlightened. <laughs> and yeah. It's 20, it's, at the time, it was 2011, like, and then um, going to some of these industry meetings and either being mistaken for someone just there to take notes or um, just some of the offhand comments was shocking at the time. And, and I mean, it's gotten better, but it was that was just one surprising. Yeah. Has it? You know, have you seen when you come, when you're the one at the meeting now? Do people know? You're there at the meeting as the president of and owner of this company, or is it? Do you still face that? There, issue? There's still, um, I think, because I I know a lot. I've met a lot of the people in the the region now, um, and there, I think sometimes going to national meetings, there, there's still some surprise when they find out the position. But I think it's just a matter of just gaining more confidence. So when I do encounter something like that, I'm much more confident now to to correct people or to make sure that they understand not just myself, but that there there are many women in the industry now and it it's not just an old boys club anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is it something that seems like people are, are responsive to, you know, that you are able to say, you know, Hey, look, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> um, I think so. And I, I, I definitely think um, it was interesting. So I went to a manufacturer school recently and found out that, one of the requirements for the salesmen to get uh, certified and to get their SPIF checks is they had to take this course on how to sell to women. And so out of curiosity, I took it myself, and I actually ended up failing. Oh, but Apparently I wouldn't be able to <laughs> pass this course. Um, but I, I, I did bring that up that it seemed pretty out, and especially since it's mandatory training for this one manufacturer. Um, and I think manufacturers that aren't seeing an issue with that and aren't adapting, I think are going to have a lot of issues in the next few years, Um, especially when they think that to market to women, you need to have pink merchandise in your showroom. Um, Right. So I I think that it's the successful manufacturers and dealers are are completely on board and recognize the fact that women are now a part of the industry. And I think the ones that are having issues with it, they're probably going to, they're probably going to feel those issues over the coming years. Right. They may not be around or not around to the same degree as they are now, perhaps. Right. Was there anyone that, I mean, even in the, at that early stage and then even, you know, still today, another woman in the industry that's kind of 
been a mentor to you or anything like that? I will say that there was someone, a, a woman in the a case in dealer development, Kathy Bell, who did a lot. And at first I thought she was being really tough on the dealership, but then later on looking back I realized that if anything, she was the most progressive because she was she was treating she she was treating me as an equal to the men that she deals with in the industry, and she okay. was sh- straight shooting direct. And at the time, I didn't appreciate it, but looking back, I'm like, well, she actually made me a lot tougher, um, and it did a lot more good. Yeah, than, yeah. Uh, and then uh, you also have a there's a Janet Flosky at Monroe Tractor, okay, who is someone that I look up to. We'll get back to the Salem Farm Supply story in a minute, but first I wanted to say thanks to HBS Systems, the sponsor of this series. To learn more about HBS's equipment dealership management systems, visit www.hbssystems.com. After that, head over to farm-equipment.com for the latest industry news. Now back to the story of Salem Farm Supply and how the dealership has grown in the last six years, including adding a second location. So how have they kind of you know guided you and helped you you grow, do you think? I'd say Kathy, just by virtue of, of being tough during those early years, I think in a way it kind of showed that she was advocating for us because she was, she, for the dealership, because she was pushing us to succeed and knew, I think, that we could do it. And that made me a, a better dealer principal because she was setting the bar high. And then for Monroe Tractors, uh, really done a great job expanding and just knowing that being led by a, someone like Janet, that there's a place in the industry for that if you just don't take no for an answer. Right, yeah. I imagine it helps that, um, so Kathy wasn't trying to hold your hand through it. She was trying to, you know, make you do the work that everyone else is, is doing and, you know, probably set you up for success then because it wasn't just, we'll guide you through, you know, we'll hold your hand through this so that right, right. you're still there, but you know, that probably wouldn't have helped as you got to the point where where the dealership was growing. Right. When did you guys, you acquired the second location, right? Yes. Um, so that was uh, finalized in 2018, and there had been a conver- an ongoing conversation for a while prior to that. So was that a situation of the, you know, the previous owner was looking to exit the, exit the industry? Yes. Yeah. Um, he, he was... I think um, he he knew that his family wasn't necessarily interested in taking on the role of dealer principal for the dealership. So he had been looking for a buyer that not just would meet the asking price, but I think he was looking for somebody that would run the dealership in the same spirit that he okay. he felt it should be run. If that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. They kind of kind of keep the soul of the dealership, and so it it seemed like a good fit. And so far, it's it's helped us increase our footprint in the area. I will say it was by no means easy going from yeah. one store to two, um, but I think it's definitely um, also I think given hope to some of the staff that there's definitely a future at Salem Farm Supply, right? Um, because we're we're in a growth mode and not not just complacent or in a rut. Right, yeah. So it, it hasn't really been, in the grand scheme of things, all that long that you've been sort of at the head. You know, six years ago, seven years ago, did you, mm-hmm. was this growth something that you even imagined um, or could, like, look that far ahead at that point? 
No, my my goals were much more short term. <laughs> <laughs> my goals were to were to uh, keep all of the mainline manufacturers, um, and then from there was to expand um, the service capability at the the original location, which we did by building a, a huge addition and new service shop, and then from there add another location, just kind of steps. Yeah. Um, what what do you think is a head for Salem Farm Supply? Well, we we also just recently switched business systems, which was actually okay. probably the biggest change, um, more so even than adding another location. So I think the next step for us would be to have maybe a stronger online presence. Okay. And hopefully this business system will will facilitate that. Do you think that your dad would have had plans to have, you know, grown and expanded to another location um, and things like that? I think if I think if he had known that I was interested in taking over the business, he would have pursued that. Um, okay. But I think at the time he didn't do that just because either, it, I mean, it, it makes it a lot easier to, to sell if you're just one store. Right. Um, so I'm not quite sure. I mean, I, I didn't have the opportunity to ask him that. But yeah. I also think because he was in his late 50s, 60s, I don't think he wanted the headaches of onboarding another location. Okay. So you were at, um, you were kind of getting to the end of that, come give it a year when he passed. Before that had happened, were you, you know, what were you thinking? Were you in the mindset of, yeah, dad, you were right. This is, this is what I should do. Or were you, you know, like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going the law school route. To be honest, I don't really remember. <laughs> his, his health started to decline um, earlier that spring. So I I think at that point, I, I think this, the focus was keeping the dealership going. Okay, yeah. You weren't even necessarily thinking about what your plans had been. Right. It was interesting because at the time, a lot of my friends from college were at graduate in graduate programs or things like that, and suddenly at 22 there was a a business <laughs> to be wrong so that kind of puts a damper on your 20s but um, right <laughs> but i but i wouldn't change it like i i it was a great opportunity yeah your your early 20s were probably much different than just about anyone else's <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it it ended up working out really well and i i kind of like where like where i am at this stage in life so okay i think it was i'm i'm happy with the way it turned out that that's good what advice would you have for another 22, 23-year-old woman who might be maybe not getting involved in the industry quite to the level you did right when you, you know, you started but was was at a dealership and and you know wanted to to grow in her role there? I would say definitely um if possible be part or participate in a 20 group of some sort. Um and I'm fortunate enough that I am in a 20 group that does have some uh, other women that are in leading positions at dealerships. Um, okay. So that's that's a great sounding board. And then I would also say try to take any opportunity there is for for self-education. So if there's any sort of program, um, like even uh, local cooperative extension courses on, on the industry that are intended for farmers and not necessarily dealers, Okay. I'd say just try to learn as much about everything related to the industry, even from the producer side. Okay. So your knowledge base is, is as strong as it possibly can be, basically. Right. 
Because if if you don't have that, I think you're you're handicapping yourself quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is is just going out and doing customer visits. What well, what's been the biggest benefit you've gotten from doing those customer visits at any of this any stage of your career, I guess? You see the other side that's not on the financials, um, so you can kind of see the impact of the dealership from from the consumer side, and oftentimes some of the customers, some of the feedback that they give is better than anything else that you could get. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say the customers genuinely want you to succeed, and if anything, some of the customers will probably be your biggest cheerleaders. What have been some of the you know benefits or lessons that you've uh, taken away from being in a 20 group? I'd say some of them are uh, one pearl of wisdom that I heard that I feel like I've, I've used quite a bit, especially with the acquisition of a new location, came from Tom Balwig of Balwig Implement. And mm-hmm. he has this quote that he says, change the people or change the people. <laughs> um, and it, I mean, it, it's just great. Um, but I would say the biggest thing has been um, knowing how to forecast from financials because um, that, that has been a big help. And then also just hearing hearing how other dealers have addressed similar issues. Was the group that you're in now a group that, um, like, your dad had been in and you kind of replaced him in, or did you go seek out getting involved in a 20 group? Um, my, my dad had been in a 20 group um, in the early 2000s uh, through Spader, and then that kind of fizzled out. But this group, I was actually approached by George Russell okay. to join it, and he thought that it would be a good fit because there were a lot of women in leadership positions that participated in this group. Um, and I don't know if I can make a plug for it, but we're looking for new dealers to join <laughs> too. So uh, it's, it's it's a great group, and I, I like that it also is not just Case or Kubota dealers. There's also okay. John Deere dealers, New Holland dealers. So you get a lot more of a macro view of the industry rather than just kind of the same old Kool-Aid that each manufacturer feeds you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's been a great a great boon to the dealership. So this is kind of going back a little bit, but back in 2015, you had shared with us um, a story about how you tried to get the rest of the dealerships, so the service department, the parts department, uh, to understand absorption rate. Mm-hmm. Um, could you share that story of kind of how you approached that and tried to get it down to layman's terms for them to all understand, you know, why it's important and yeah, and why so, it's worth improving? So it's, at the time, I, I got it from um, a case, a CNH course for dealers on parts and service productivity, and it seemed like such an important idea to also show the value to each department of what the other departments are. Mm-hmm. Because um, sometimes I feel at the dealership, the departments sometimes almost compete with each other, and absorption seemed like a great unifying idea to have everybody working towards one goal. Um, okay. And once I, I made up a little handout to hand out at the monthly meeting, and I should probably do this again because it's been a few years and we have some new people that explained very bare bones what absorption is and why it's so important especially with making lower margins on new equipment. Um, and I, I did use a little bit of humor. <laughs> <And> I <laughs> tried to make it uh, 
humorous and memorable, but it, it, it did have, I think it had a good effect because people understood why why parts margins are so important and why we can't just let those those erode. Um, and also just the importance of the service department. Okay, so, and you kind of used a, like, this is a, here's a mediocre prize to go with, you know, a mediocre absorption rate, mm-hmm. and then a, here's a, you know, excellent or whatever, more exciting prize. <laughs> We'll say, right. Uh for getting a that higher uh higher absorption rate. Mm-hmm. Did that um did adding that that bit of humor into it um did it seem to help help them get uh, it better or Yeah, yeah. I I think sometimes if you just do stuff really dry, it, it seems to not they it doesn't really I know if I'm listening to something a very dry lecture or something like that, I don't necessarily retain it, but mm-hmm. If somebody makes a comparison to a bad absorption rate, and I think I used a picture of Susan Boyle, um, the singer, as poor absorption, um, which I mean, people thought it was funny, but just if, if you just make it humorous or throw a joke, they they seem to remember it more, and it becomes right. more of a conversation piece. I'm Jack Simlick of Precision Farming Dealer Magazine. If you want to be more successful in precision ag sales, service, and support, join us for the annual Precision Farming Dealer Summit, co-located with the National No-Tillage Conference. Check out more information at precisionsummit.com. And now back to Kim and the Our Dealer Story podcast. Looking ahead to the next few years, how do you see the dealership changing or, or growing so for the new location, definitely getting some um, expanding the service department and getting some of the service customers back that we had been lost over the years, because um, it seems that if if you don't have good service, you're probably not going to get all the sales out there, mm-hmm. um, which is our dealership motto: our service sells. So just trying to bring that home to the to the new staff. And um, I don't know about adding another location anytime soon. I mean, <laughs> if there's one that's a good fit, uh, I'm always willing to, to research a, an opportunity. But um, I think just trying to improve on what we've got currently and strengthen that so that we're we're ready and for, especially if something happens with the dairy market. Yeah. The potential to grow will be there if that ever gets strong again. Right. <laughs> Do you feel like you've the the manufacturers who were unsure of having a 22-year-old young woman, you know, run one of their dealerships, do you feel like you've proved them wrong that there shouldn't have been anything to worry about? Yeah, I would say that. I um I I think that their their doubt was one of the big fuel like I'm I'm a very stubborn person. If someone tells me I can't do it, I'm going to do it and I'm going to succeed at it. Um and so I, I think that now the relationship that we have with the manufacturers is is as strong or stronger than it's ever been. Okay, that's good. That's great. Got over that little that hurdle, and now it's it's growing and blossoming. Yeah. Is your mom still involved in the business at all? She lives out of state, so she is more of a a distance. <laughs> okay. Um. She's, I wouldn't say active with the business. She's a great sounding board 
and she'll come in sometimes in the summers and help in the office. Okay. She's still a part owner of the business, though? Yes. How has it been having her as that sounding board? Um, And, you know, how did she kind of help you or guide you through what was probably a pretty challenging time for you? Um, She she was very supportive, um, and she put a lot of trust in me. I mean, a lot of her net worth was tied up in the dealership, and... Mm -hmm. um, her kind of believing in in my ability to do it meant a lot and also was a, a factor in uh kind of kind of kind of pushing me on because I also knew that how much my mom had tied up or had okay. at stake and the fact that she had a lot at stake but believed in me and believed that it could be achieved meant a lot and um motiv- it was a big motivating factor so that's the word okay. I'm looking for Was there at any point where you were like I tried, but I can't, I can't do this. You know, did you ever kind of doubt that it was going to work out? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Yeah. Uh, I think other people felt that, but I didn't. (laughs) And I I remember someone told me uh, once that they said, just don't take no for an answer. So I kind of took that to heart. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, you guys have, you grew as well as a, single store um and and thrived and now you're you're continuing that and are the ones you know you are you're the one acquiring other dealerships so that's really impressive that you know you clearly had the the hunger to do it yeah and i think a lot of that too is just uh luck about having having the right people Mm -hmm. at the dealership working um and having buy-in from them and them also wanting to see it succeed yeah um So the fact that I feel like some dealerships you walk into and you can almost feel the apathy of the staff. <laughs> right. <laughs> there is just a job. And the the fact that the staff were were able to have such buy-in to it and also were didn't, didn't view it as just a job, but South Salem Farm Supply is more than just a job, that, that that was probably the biggest, one of the bigger saving graces. Okay. How has the... Um uh, management team or the, you know, people who are, you know, right beside you helping run the business, how have you all grown as a group over the, you know, since I last talked to you five or so years ago? Um, so I would say that there there have been some struggles, especially with the uh, adoption of a new business system. Okay. Which there, I know that there will be a, a return on investment in the long term, but... <laughs> We're still kind of in that <laughs> that area or that be that early phase where we're still kind of I think waiting to see some of that. Yeah, stumbling um, through it. Yeah, so I think that they have been great that they have kind of taken that in stride and run with it. Um, and I think once everyone gets a little bit more comfortable with the new business system, um, they'll be able to start using it to management for more by metric base um, and be more proactive rather than reactionary okay because the goal is to to try to not react to the situations but to plan and kind of know they're coming depending on what happens with the dairy industry you guys are in a pretty heavy dairy part of New York correct Yes, and part of the reasoning also with the acquisition of the second location was that the, where the second location is, it's less dairy dependent. Okay. So we were trying to diversify 
our customer demographics. Okay. How far apart are the two stores? Uh, about two hours, a little okay. less. Okay. So not too far. So it changes enough in not too far of a distance, mm-hmm. customer base-wise. How has the customer base shifted in uh, over the years for you guys? Even since I've been at the dealership full-time, you've seen farms get acquired by other farms. So it seems like that customer that we used to have for some of our trade-ins has disappeared. So it seems sometimes that finding a home for for some of our early mid-horsepower tractors is is becoming more difficult because you've got the big guys that are doing lease returns or, or doing new or and that mid-sized farm seems to be disappearing. How has that changed kind of your sales approach and things like that? I would say it's we've always valued our customers, but it's it's made uh us more proactive over or treating our 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 type A customers as best as possible. Okay. Um, so it, it's definitely, I don't want to say made us value them more, but um, we're we're very uh, attuned to their needs and we'll, we'll do what we can to keep them. And then what do you think the biggest challenge facing the dealership right now is? I would say finding, finding uh, the next generation of, of staff. Okay. We've got quite a few that are near retirement or like within the next two, 10 years will be at retirement age and it's it's proven challenging uh filling positions. Is there anything you've started to do to kind of plan for that or, you know, different ways you've tried to find, you know, certain types of employees? Yeah, we we've tried reaching out to um some of the schools and some of the vocational programs. Um but it just it seems sometimes uh we've done we've done uh internships with high schoolers but part of it too seems that a lot of the younger generation in the area move out once they graduate okay so i don't know if it's a matter of trying to get younger people to want to live in a rural area um it seems like we're kind of battling against that right are you still one of the so you had said you know in 2012, part of it was the motivation to keep the business going was because you were one of the primary employers in the area. Is that still the case? Um, for our, our main store, I, I would say it is. Okay. So it's you know it's not like there's all sorts of other opportunities that are are keeping people in the area. It's right. We we have um at our newest store, it's near where they're going to be building an Amazon distribution center. Okay. So that's one one consideration is kind of competing with as an employer. I've heard their turnaround is terrible, so maybe you can. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like people people don't last very long there, so maybe they'll. Maybe, but you, like you try to explain to people like the benefit side that maybe the hourly wage might not be as high, but the benefits are better. But sometimes right. it seems like people just focus on that hourly wage and don't right. see past see the whole compensation plan. Yeah. Um and really the the biggest our biggest recruiting tool are our current staff. Most of the people that have been hired over the past few years have been recommended by people currently working for the company. And that's what I mean I've heard that from a number of dealers and I mean even something we hear kind of preaches we all know people so you mm-hmm. know 
look for the people that you know you see at at church at your kids baseball game at you know at the grocery store the the restaurants you go to you know kind of be keeping an eye out for people you interact with on a weekly basis that might have potential um and a lot of times that's where you end up finding them right and i and i think that also just brings back just how important it is to to keep your your staff engaged and and happy Mm-hmm. As a as a workforce in general, um, just because I, I take that as a big compliment when they recommend family members or people they know to work at the dealership, um, and I, I just want to preserve that. Yeah, that's great. That is a really nice compliment. That you know, hey, I like he- I like being here so much that I would tell someone else that they they should come too. Right. So we we and it's just like even little things like having birthday treats monthly things like that, just to kind of foster a more positive culture. Yeah. Have you guys done anything to adjust or change or grow the culture in the last five or so years? I mean, I, I feel like there's always room for improvement. Um, I know one thing that we struggled with, that I think a lot of dealerships struggle with, is that it seemed like the store became more negative wintertime when there was that slump. Mm-hmm. Um, and so trying to be proactive and making sure that we've got service specials or things to pull work in during the slow months so that we don't have slow months. Right. Um, so trying to prevent that um, discontent from coming. Because it seemed like sometimes in January or February, I mean, it's already it's, it's upstate New York, so it's already kind of miserable outside weather-wise. Right. <laughs> um, trying to make sure that there's projects that can be done and, and – um, different self-improvement through, like, online courses or sending people away for training, trying to combat that winter drudgery feel. Anything that we missed in the Salem Farm Supply story that you want to add? Just one kind of neat fact is that, so the new location was founded by Stu Kinney, who prior to being a IH dealer was an IH rep. Okay. And he got a lot of support and I believe some funding as well from Paul Tomlinson who founded Salem Farm Supply to found Columbia Tractor. Oh, wow. So our origins are, it was kind of a nice fit. <laughs> because, yeah. Uh, we had this uh, shared a, a key person that that helped get the business going. Um, yeah, that's a neat connection. Yeah, so it was kind of a nice, it, it kind of had like a nice full circle effect that Salem Farm Supply played a role in the founding of Columbia Tractor, and then Columbia Tractor ended up becoming Salem Farm Supply. Okay. Do you have any interaction or contact with either of them today? Mm-hmm. So Paul Tomlinson, the founder of Salem Farm Supply, he, he lives right down the road from the dealership. Uh, so he comes into the dealership frequently. And um, Stu Kenny, who founded Columbia Tractor, he is still on as a consultant, okay. um, but he also lives right next door to the dealership, and so we we actually have plans. He's going to go with me and drive down to visit a customer in a bit later next month, but definitely, there, there's definitely, both dealerships had a, a really nice legacy, which makes makes taking it on and operating it a lot easier when you're building upon a well-established legacy. Well, it was wonderful to catch up. Thank you for uh, sharing your guys' story. Yeah, thanks. It's it's uh, it's it's always fun to look at the the progress made and kind of celebrate it in a way. 
Thanks so much to Carol Lewis for taking the time to sit down and share Salem Farm Supply's story with us. And another thanks to HBS Systems for making this podcast possible. I'd love to get your feedback on the new series, so drop me a line at kschmidt at lessetermedia.com. You can subscribe to the podcast via Spotify, iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. This will ensure you'll be alerted as soon as new episodes are made. Thanks again for joining us for this one-on-one conversation with Carol Lewis. Until next time, I'm Kim Schmidt, signing out of the Our Dealer Story podcast.